When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only, Ms. Jackie Tan. Hey! For those of you listening, when he gave me the one, the only, I opened my mouth wider and wider and brought my face closer and closer to camera. Then when he said my name, I did jazz hands. Listen, when you start with a gay man and you do the jazz hands, I'm like, I'm already in love with you. I'm as close to a fucking gay man as any woman I've ever met in my entire life. So let's go. I love it. Well, I, well, I always joke that I am, I mean, I'm a gay man trapped in a tween girl's body. Like if there is TV that you should be watching as a tween girl, that is what I flock to. Amazing. And I myself have been, is the word hag still okay? In the 90s, it was okay. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with a lot of words. A lot of people are like, I'm okay with the gay right. words. Like they don't bother me. Right. And my best friends in New York, who are all gay men, are also okay with all those words. I don't personally say them publicly, but they do. But I do call myself, I mean, they call me a hag. I call me a hag. I I think a hag is still the appropriate term. It just rhymes with a word that's no longer appropriate. Exactly. People like, are we on the cusp of a not okay? Because I don't want to fuck with that territory. I don't want to fuck. Listen, I say nothing. I say nothing about anything. And I have, I am. We just both smile and try to please as many fucking people as possible as codependent Jews with inherited trauma. Look, Bette Midler. Oh, I love it. Well, you are a nice Jewish girl. Are you in LA right now or am I just making that up? No, you're not making anything up. I'm a nice Jewish girl who is in LA. You've gotten both two out of two, right? Well, I mean, the Jewish thing I knew, but I didn't know if you were like currently in LA. If, you, know, you know what I mean? With, with COVID, you never know. Like people are not where you Dude, think it's crazy. They are. My friend Nikki moved back to St. Nikki Glazer, the comic. She moved back to St. Louis. And I was singer-songwriter friends of mine moved back to their hometown in Saratoga. People are, oh, another girl, a friend of mine who was on American Idol with me moved back to Memphis. Everybody left LA. I mean, Nikki was in New York, but everybody left. And you did not want to move home to Long Island. 
I thought better of it. I'll be honest with you. I meant to tell you when I saw your last name, my friend growing up, this is such a fun factoid. Yeah. His name, and I, is, his name is Rami Perlman and he is the son of violin legend Yitzhak Perlman and their dog, when I was good friends with Rami, their dog's name was Yontif. And that, that doesn't, that name? yeah, I know I'm just, I'm taking it in. Like that doesn't necessarily shock because it means holiday. But what's cute is that anytime the dog did something right, they would say, good Yontif, good Yontif. And I just always thought it was such a good dog name. That is, listen, that is a good, well, my, I have a lot of family from Long Island and the family that I have from Long Island, they, my uncle changed his last name and he was young to holiday. So I have a whole half of my family's last name is holiday. And when I was young, I always wanted to. And my parents were like, well, we would, you know, that's not happening. And now, I mean, it's different now because like I'm too far along and everyone knows me in this world as David Yontif. But, you know, if I could do it over, maybe I would have changed my name. I... As I get older, I'm like more, I'm not Jew, I'm not like a religious Jewish person and I barely even know what the holidays mean, but I'm such a Jewy person that I'm just so charmed by, I don't know, I I really love our religion and our culture. And now that we're under attack, I feel especially uh, territorial. I get it. I'm kind of the same way. Like I'm not, I don't even sometimes know when the holidays are either. My sister will, my sister and mother are, I mean, no, my sister and father are better. And my mother and I, my parents are divorced. My mother and I are like, my sister will be like, are you coming home for, and I'm like, what? You're like, what? now? No, yeah. I have no idea. I'm like, whoops. And I'm like, no, I just, I'm working and I can't, you know, it's just, and it's not like home is like a, a minute away. I mean, it's Connecticut, right. but it's, it's just. Where are you in the city? Yeah. So I'm in Chelsea and. We love our Chelsea, but I, I love LA also. I, I love, love it. LA too. I have so many New Yorkers in my life who came out here and were just like, oh, obviously not. Like it's gorgeous out all the time and it's much easier living. And just, I think like my hardened New Yorkers, something about them feels like if you succumb to LA, you're like a pussy. Like if there's so much pride in being able to succeed against all odds in New York. And there's pride in succeeding against all odds out here too. It's just much Yeah. Did you ever live in New York City or? Yes. So I'm from Long Island. I was acting from when I was a really, since I was nine. So I then know. I was, hello. So then when I start, I started going to the city and like taking the Long Island Railroad with my mom when I was a little kid in and out. And then when I was like 18, I had this development deal opportunity. And so when I came out to LA, like on a whim, I just never left. Cause the guy that show ran Roseanne and created Mad About You, this guy, Danny Jacobson, he was creating me a show. When I was this 18 year old stand-up comic. I was like, all my dreams are coming true. So I just dropped everything, dropped out of college, moved to LA. So by the time I moved here, it's funny. I'm, always, I'm obviously such a New Yorker, but people always say to me like, oh, what's the best, what's the best bar? If you're like in Midtown and you just like have to pass the time, what's it? I'm like, Bitch, I don't know. I've lived in LA since right. I learned how to drive in Los Angeles. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm a New Yorker, but I don't know, like, the cool shit there. I was never there until I did a play, you'll love this, Young Tiff. I did a play called Jutopia. I remember that. 2003 to 2006, and that was in New York, it, right off Broadway um, on 43rd and 8th. I feel like, so I, I don't, I mean, I, I just, I interview everyone, but like lately I interviewed Judy Gold and I just interviewed oh. Isaac Mizrahi this week. So I have all, all, you know, it's not that I, 
but they're just very Jewish too. So like you're Jewish just, in, you're like in the trio. We were right after Isaac and Judy Gold, like around I that couldn't area. I couldn't be happier about that. I love them both. It's like everyone like surrounded by all these Jews, which is not, I'm like, okay, you know, like I'm culturally Jewish. Yeah. Right. You know. But I think that's a lot of us. I remember years ago, this guy, Josh Newman, I knew started a magazine called Heb which was super funny. Yeah. And basically it was for culturally Jewish Jews. Like I, I, I hesitate to use the word millennial, but like our age ish, our parents had so much inherited trauma. They didn't really like force Judaism on us because they had their parents had to hide in basements and attics. And so it's like, it became this, we're all very culturally Jewish, but not holiday celebrating God fearing Jews. But I did more like growing up. Like I had to go, I mean, we weren't like, super but we i did like young kids like we had to do stuff oh, my same, parents were like same. and then just i like my sister does stuff and my father does stuff i just don't same did you always know you i mean like i know you started acting when you were young but like was it always acting or did you ever go through that like you know maybe i'll do this maybe i'll do it did you ever have any alternate thoughts no for those of you really for those of you only listening i've been shaking my head no for 30 seconds um no, 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 no. And for better or for worse, and as sort of separated from reality as it sometimes made me, um, no, never. Like I never considered, and I've been really lucky because even in the years that I had no money and made $12,000 in the entire year scrounging together cash from cleaning famous people's closets and organizing people's lives and shit, I still like for example when i said that that danny jacobson gig yeah that was that was a, they paid me so i had this development deal and i was like 18 years old and i made you know over like a hundred thousand dollars and at in at 18 years old that that money lasted me for five at least for five years I, I had like two roommates in a one bedroom apartment. Like we were paying 800 bucks a month each. Like that money lasted me for fucking ever. And yeah. so even though I w always had these little, not little, these massively disappointing things, right? Because I had this development deal. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be a TV star and nothing ever came of it. But then I had this little nest egg to work off of that made it possible for me to make little bits of money here and there and still survive. But I've always been like a crazy saver. I mean, even in the first two seasons of Glow, I was driving my 17-year-old car. It wasn't just like, I just, I had a RAV4 from 99 and I just never got rid of it. Okay, I've, I have so much to say about everything you just said. Well, first of all, you know, that's the Jew in you. I mean, I could say that because your parents taught you to save money. 100%. I, well, first, let's just go back to before you got this development deal at 18 and moved out to LA, what did your parents say? Like, I know you started young, but were they, cause like, I always say this, like, it's true. Like here I am now, but I went to law school, practiced corporate tax law. Yeah, I did. I'm like one of those closets where people like as your eyes bug up. <laughs> but then when I, so when I was young, my parents were like, you know, you can check box A and we can go to medical school. You could check box B and you can go to law school or box C, Correct. you can go to college, but there's no money here that we're helping you with. You know, you have two choices when you my go to My parents too. My, pa my parents never gave me $20. Where did they support your, like, I want to be an actress? Because my parents would have been like, what is that? Like, you don't make, that's not a living. Well, since I started when I was nine, I had a support group and a foundation at my house that 
was just simply, I can't say unprecedented because a lot of people support their kids, but they were just on board. And because I had been doing it so long by the time I moved to LA, it wasn't like I on a whim was going to drop out of college. Like there was real opportunity there. Right. And my parents, I, I actually didn't realize till well into my thirties, how unbelievable my parents are for letting me do that. Right. Like I was sort of like, I'm going to go to LA. And my mom initially came with me. My mom and my agent, Aggie Gold of Fresh Faces Agency, had it for back house in Baltimore, Long Island. Aggie and my mom came with me to LA. And it was in the middle of semesters at the University of Delaware. And we had like a few weeks or a month, whatever, to be out here. And it was such a whirlwind and Aggie was getting me such incredible meetings. And that's when I met Danny Jacobson and he said he was going to give me a deal. And it was like, it would be looking to give horse in the mouth to be like, well, fuck you 20th century Fox and Danny Jacobson who wants to create me a TV show so I could go back to college. This is what I always wanted. Let's go. Yeah. So, and then I moved in with Jessica Beale. And so my mom was like, Okay, she's living with Jesse and her parents in a big house in Calabasas. She's got money coming in. She's got this opportunity. Like, it wasn't like I moved out here and was going to, like, have to struggle and work at Hot Topic or be a real estate, be an assistant in someone's tax office to make ends meet. Like, we sort of knew what the plan was at that point. Wait, I have another question. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, listen, I love being the host of the Behind the Velvet Rope podcast, but bringing you guys five shows a week, tracking down the top Bravo celebrities to bring you new creative content every day, that causes me stress. It causes me anxiety. I'm not even going to get into the lack of sleep or lack of a relationship. So- I needed somewhere to turn. And for me, I turned to BetterHelp. I love BetterHelp because it's professional counseling right from the comfort of your own home. What they do is they match you with a licensed therapist who is a professional that fits your needs and the things that you want to talk about. So you may not have the same issues as I do. They also deal with LGBTQIA issues anger, grief, trauma. If you are having relationship issues, if you're in a relationship, good for you. I'm not. They really deal with everything and everything you share is confidential. So I cannot stress how much because of this job that I love so much, it has caused me some issues and better help really is a lifesaver. Right now, if you guys also want to start living a happier life, as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash velvet rope. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Velvet Rope. And as a listener, you guys get 10% off your first month. Try it. I promise you, you are going to feel so much better once you talk to one of their licensed professional counselors. And listen, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. DM me. Let me know how it goes. This has been a lifesaver for me. Well, I was going to say, yeah, like that's when my parents would have been like, okay, now we support you because it's $100,000 and you're 18 and, you know, now you can go. I just was wondering like way back, you know, when you were nine. 
But I assume yeah. nine to answer that question is my mom had to give up so much to schlep my little ass around. I had auditions all the time. She'd pick me up from school and schedule them with my agent. And this is before the internet and before MapQuest. And she's driving from Long Island, this four foot 10 Jewish woman navigating the New York City streets with cabs flying by her and waiting outside and double parking and letting me just go into this weird building and come back. I mean, it was like, it was insane. And we did that for 10, we did that for nine years before I moved to LA. Wow. And I imagine one of the things they probably were happy about too is when you got your role to play the young Fran Drescher on The Nanny. That was crazy. So again, Aggie, she knew, um, you know, what I was selling even at a young age well before I did. It's funny, again, I didn't learn a lot of things about myself into my 30s. And one of them was, get this, that I'm specific. Literally, I was just like, why can't I be the girl next door? Like, I had no idea why I couldn't just, anyway. I sort of now, after GLOW and the roles that I've played, I sort of see more what I'm selling. Though I obviously, personally think I can branch out much more than that, as I think most actors think about. Yeah. Um, that said, um, I was very nanny-ish as a kid, as I am now. And uh, Aggie got me this audition, and I booked it off the tape. And then they flew me out to LA. My mom came with me. And of course, at that point, couldn't have a full-time job because she was taking my little ass everywhere. So she takes me to, takes me to LA. And the night we land, the Northridge 6.6 .6 earthquake happened. We were staying in a motel by the airport. And our room was next to the pool. The pool cracked open. Our room flooded. We had to put all our suitcases up on the shelves, which were shaking. And my mom's friend, Jan, ran into the basement to get her car. And we were like, you're going to die. She's like, we'll have no way to get out of here if I don't get the fucking car. So it was like a, it was like an action movie when I was 12 years old, the first time I ever came to LA. And like, you know, from New York, that's what you hear about. Like, oh, there's earthquakes and all this. And you're like, that I mean, stuff doesn't happen. I mean, and now I've lived here of 150 years and I've never experienced anything close to what happened the first night I got here. Wow. Did you know, because, you know, you were young, like, you wanted to work, like, obviously being flown to LA was amazing, but, like, did you know, like, this is Fran Drescher, this is the nanny, like, this is a big thing? Yes, I have chills as you're asking me that. Yes. So, I absolutely, like, this was the biggest thing ever. The show was a massive hit. Yeah. Uh, sort of the opposite of when I did The Sopranos, because I did that first season, so no one knew what it was. So, I'd be like, oh, I'm doing this show, The Sopranos, and everyone was like, do you, do, are, do you sing, like, Soprano Alto, or what do you, and I was like... Oh, no, I think it's like a mafia, some mafia show. I don't know. Where the nanny, so I was excited about The Sopranos, but it wasn't anything yet. Whereas right. the nanny was like this smash and I was going to be flown to LA to do this thing. The Sopranos, I just think I drove to Silver Cup in Queens and was like, hi, what do I have to do? <laughs> Were you shocked then after like when that became such a huge hit or could you just tell like on set? No, I had no idea because I only did one episode. Yeah. And it was like, Oh, I was, I wasn't shocked when it became a hit because you never know, but I was like, oh, whoa, people are loving this. And even now, so funny, I randomly get a text. People are just like, I finally watched The Sopranos. I watched you watch that girl try to kill herself. I'm like, what's up? What was it like to work with Fran? Like, and was your mother like freaking out just because I imagine? The most. Yeah. Freaking, like, and that's the thing. Like, I think for my mom, no, and I'm not trying to make it better because she gave up her life for me and I'm like she got a lot out of it too but truly she did I mean our relationship was 
unlike any other mother-daughter relationship I've seen, it's like, we're so close, but it's not contentious and we don't bitch at each other. I mean, we generally just enjoy each other, make each other laugh, support each other. It's just pretty dreamy. And so, you know, here she was flying to LA and being on the set of this TV show and, you know, getting carted around. I mean, it was exciting. Yeah. I mean, like, did she get to meet Fran? Like that's- of course, of ah. course. She has pictures with her. You know how it is. It's so, so exciting for her. Were you like starstruck? Like, are you the type to get starstruck? I mean, even now, like some people just are and other people are. No, funny. I haven't been probably in the last 15, 20 years since I've lived in LA. But when I lived in New York, I was a kid, right? So I would go on these auditions and I'd be in a, you know, we'd see like, I remember when I was little, I like saw Mark Wahlberg walking down the street of New York City. And my mom was like, we took a picture with him. My mom always had the camera at the ready. Um, really and all these randoms because I was like doing all this work so we you know we were always it was always cool my mom had the brag book so she would you know go to the pharmacy and you know run into someone and they'd say oh it was Jackie was on the nanny and she'd open her little book she here she is she was on the view here she is with Barbara Walters here she is she met Michael Bolton here she is and she would like have her little brag book she and was ahead of her time yeah, but most of the pictures, what's funny is they weren't even people I was working with. They were people that like we badgered on the street. So like, what are you bragging about that I attacked someone on the road? Maybe she spun a story of like, here she is with Mark Wahlberg and oh yeah, they just did something. She, no, she never lied, but she always like, she did make it like our lives are so exciting. Look who we met. But a lot of the times we were literally just meeting them as fans. We, were you on The View with Barbara Walters? Funny enough, um... Please hold blowing nose. I don't want to. I was like, I was um, like, that, that I did not know. That I did not know. So Aggie Gold um, is incredible. So she would, she was basically this agent. So I've uh, developed over the years, I've done a bunch of songs for the Howard Stern show, which I'm a super fan of. And so. I oh, I know about that. I have lots of questions about that too. Because Howard is literally a god amongst. He's my god. He's my yeah. god. Yeah, of course. He's of course. amazing. So I, um, I did the wrap-up show with Gary Delabate, Baba Booey, and John Hine the other day, and I was telling some story about Aggie, and Baba Booey said, Aggie Gold? We used to call her when we needed kid actors on the show or when we needed kid performers. She was like our go-to. And it's just so funny. I, did, I was on Donahue as a kid. I was on, like, Aggie just like had her fingers in all the pies. She was like the go-to kid agent for any, for all TV needs. And so she wasn't like a big macher, but she was very well connected. And so, um, what was I answering? About like how you got to the view through that. Like oh, they, they so then they, a child. Correct. And then when I did Donahue, they were looking for kid actors. That was going to be the episode of the show. So they called, they brought on Aggie as the agent to speak on behalf. Then they brought three kid actors and their parents and the kids performed, and then the audience ripped us new assholes. Really? The audience was awful to us, like, like traumatizing awful. Like that one, she's very precocious, and I feel like there, this is no life for a child, and people were awful to us. Anyway, um, when Aggie got me on The View, I was actually just in the audience. They planted me because they wanted a teenager to stand up and ask a question. So they called this kid agent and I acted like I was just a regular kid in the audience of The View. And that's where I met Michael Bolton. 
Really? He was the guest. Was he with Nicolette Sheridan at that time or anyone interesting? Hard to say. He was there alone, though they probably were still together because it was the 90s. Like I'm thinking. Yeah, right? Let's do the fucking math on that one. But I think he was was there by himself. Interesting. I didn't realize that they hired people to ask questions. I don't know if they did in general when it's grown-ups, but... When they needed a kid to do something, I think it had to be a, on a higher basis because it wasn't like there was 16-year-olds hanging out in the audience of The View. Right. It wasn't like a thing. So what happens after the nanny? Like you came home and were you like, okay, I'm ready for the next nanny? I mean, I know you've done, I mean, I know you've been working, but you know, like, were you like, okay, well, that was good, but I want to do that every day. I want to be with Fran and CBS and like the real deal. Correct. I have nothing further to add. That is exactly <laughs> how I feel like I got him from doing the nanny and I was like, cool. So how do we crack open this whole TV stardom vibe? Let's go. And then I just was on the journey forever, forever. I mean, I didn't get glow till my mid thirties. So I got little things like the nanny or an episode of castle or CSI New York, you know, like these bit parts over the course of the years, but I didn't really get my big break till 20-something years after the nanny. Well, you also got Veronica Mars. Did you have anything, scenes with Kristen Bell? Yes. So the Veronica Mars thing was wild because there was a casting director that was always really kind to me and always brought me in for everything and always, there's there's like a small handful of those. You get really lucky. You meet a cast director and they're just like, ooh, she's fun. I want to put her on stuff. And the woman's name was Dee Dee Bradley and is Dee Dee Bradley. And so she was casting Veronica Mars and I went in and she was like, oh, I love you for this. And then I got what's called pinned, which means like on hold for it. And then I told Kristen, hey, I'm on hold for Veronica Mars. And she was like, oh, let me tell the producers. So I think at that point, it's not like being friends with someone as incredible as Kristen. It's not like, first of all, I'd never be comfortable ever in a million years being like, hey, could you get me on Veronica? Like never, she has her life, especially now as a person who's working, like I can't do anything for my friends who aren't working. I don't have that kind of pull, right? That's like not really how it works. Right. Well, different because of course she has that kind of pull, but who wants to be friends with a person who's just like hitting you up for opportunity? It's just shitty and I would never do that. I wouldn't want people to do it to me and I wouldn't do it to my friends. Same. That said, when I was already up for it, I called her to be like, oh my God, this is so cool. I might work with you. And she was like, oh, fuck that. I'm calling the producers. Like, hell yeah, let's get this going. But that was like at the very, very tippy top of our friendship. Like we met in 2003. Then I went to New York for a bunch of years. And so we became good friends again when I came back in like, oh, six, seven. And I feel like that's when Veronica Mars was, but I don't know. I I have trouble gauging what years things were. It's all a blur. Uh, I, you're preaching to the choir. I just think, you know, I joke, like it's not a joke, but as I get older, I either scare myself that I can't remember things and that's like something serious. Or I just, I'm convinced that like, if you have a busy, like this is not an ego, but like if you have a busy active life and you're doing a lot of things, I just think things come in and things go out. Like, percent. I mean, there's nothing I can do. It's not really egoic when it's factual, right? It's like, if you're a person sitting around with your thumb up your ass and you're like, I'm so busy, I can't remember, then it's like, okay. Right. No, genuinely, I had a shrink tell me years ago that a part of the reason that I don't have a great memory is because I have so much anxiety. And when you're worrying about the past 
when you're harping on the past and worrying about the, which is depression and harping on the future, which is anxiety, right? These are two, neither of these things are happening in the present time. They're not real. When you're doing that, you don't have as much mental space to make new memories because you're wasting all your fucking mental real estate on Michigas. I mean, that makes logical sense. It hit, it hit home a little maybe too hard. Right. You're like, okay, so I'm anxious and depressed. Thank you. Correct. And well, here's your like $500. And now for a half hour. What? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think if you're Kristen Bell and you want a friend on, you know, for a guest star role, you just pick up the phone. And I think that's how it happens. I mean, I'm not quite sure, but like, I think suggestions can be made because also all the producers want people that they know to be on it and casting has their suggestions and the director totally. has their, the writer has their people. So it's like, it isn't quite as cut and dry. And again, like I never would ever pick up the phone and make, it's funny because um, she, she and I are making a cartoon together for Amazon that's coming out in May called Do Ray and Me. And I don't even, I didn't even have the business acumen to bring it to her as a producer, as a business associate, at the time she was the only friend of mine that had kids and my buddy Mike and I were trying to make a kid's show. So I was like, do the girls think these songs are good or are they too? Because we wanted to make a kid's show that wouldn't, a musical show, that wouldn't make the parents of the children want to put the iPads in the fucking microwave, right? We wanted like parents to be able to listen to this in the car and make, you know, some of the songs are Queen vibes or Vintage Whitney vibes and Hamilton and, you know, pulling from all these yeah. inspirations and genres. And so I wanted to see if the kids thought the art was good and the stories were good and the music. And she was like, dude, I love this. Like, if you need any help, I would, you know, help in any way I could. And I was like, well, like what? Like, what is that? I don't know what you'd even do. And she was like, well, I could like come on either as name or as producer, help you guys develop. And I was like, I all right, yeah. This is before Glow. This is before I had like no reps. I had nothing going on. And my buddy and I thought of a cartoon idea in a coffee shop. And she was, and I was like, oh, okay, yes, please. Anything you <laughs> you're want like, to do, I, greatly appreciated, madam. And you're like, you're hired. Me. And I was like, you're hired, bitch. Where do you sign? And then she skyrocketed the whole thing. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. This summer... The world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door. 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as <laughs> What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. 
Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Wow. She's a beast. She's a she's just like a mighty, brilliant, kind beast. Where did you meet Kristen Bell? Just living in LA? Like just both being actresses and trying to make it? Yes, we met in 2003. We had a mutual director, this guy, Andy Fickman, who's now a macher in his own right. He, um, Kevin Can Wait and all these... Um, all these amazing movies, but Andy directed a play I was doing called Utopia and directed a play she was doing called Snow. And we went and saw each other's shows just to support Andy, just to be like, oh, let's see what else he's making. And we were both doing in these like 99 seat theater, these little tiny shows. And we were the same age. We were the only people in each other's shows that like, you know, and he gave us each other's numbers. We like went to the flea market and hung out and, we just became friends in 2003. I love it. Now it's 75 years later. No, I'm the same way. Cause listen, like I have a lot of people come on this show and like, you know, I keep in touch with a lot of people like organic friendships and same thing. Like people have offered to get other people on my show and then it actually happens, but right. I'm the same way. Like I'm like, I know you mentioned that, but I will never re-mention it until you mention it again. Perfect. Yeah. I was salivating when you mentioned sure, that sure, name. Sure. That is technically 800 levels higher than you or whatever, how this thing works, but I will never ask for that person. Yes. And then as soon as they, I'm the, I I just, it's just bad form. I think. I know. But I also, I, not only is it bad form, I don't, I'm in a place now where like, it's not that I don't like when people reach out to me and ask me for stuff. More that it's, it's many fold. It's one there aren't enough hours in the day for me to do what I need to do. 100%. I mean, as far as like, um, be present in my relationship, take care of my dog, go on auditions, write scripts, try and pay the bills. I don't know what job I'm going to have next. Glow is gone. Waiting to hear on best leftovers ever. And so there's just like all these maybe stuff and trying to figure out what's next for myself while I have this itty bitty moment of momentum, right? I have this, for the, you know, not the first time, but you have these little blips in your career where people are looking in your direction. Right. And you can capitalize on that shit because this is, I know what it's like to have had 25 years where I didn't work and didn't do anything and couldn't pay my rent. So when people come to me, I want to help, of course, anybody I can. And if someone's like, hey, will you pass this along to your commercial agent? Like, oh my God, of course. But when people come to me and they're like, I have this script idea and you should blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, what, what do you think I'm going to do? I don't. Yeah. Kristen, it's like, she's got a husband and two kids and 900 jobs. She's going to come and do some shit. Someone needs her to do. It's going to make sense. And like, I think like what you said, it's just a business. Like you could be the best friend to someone in the entire world. It doesn't mean like, what does that mean? Like, you know, yeah, it's not, it, no one's going to green light something or say, okay, great. Just cause you're great friends. It's like, no, I, mean, I don't know. I, I'm like a Gemini. I'm very like, I could segregate everything like business, make, pleasure. Compartmentalize business and pleasure a hundred percent. Also, I'm just like learning to be a businesswoman now. So back at like, I didn't even, I, I like genuinely didn't even think of it. And it was her idea. And I was like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Are you excited that you have this cartoon though coming out with Kristen? Like that's, it could be a big thing. It's out of control. So my friend Mike and I, just to give you a timeline of how insane animation is, we thought of it in 2014. And I think I showed it to Kristen in like six months later, maybe in 2015. And then we got Gaumont, this production company on board to help us develop it in 2016. 
think we brought it to Amazon in 2017. And then all it developed, Amazon continued developing it with us. Some crazy drama happened in Amazon where they dropped everything um, except our show. And then in 2018, they greenlit it. In 2019, we started working on it. Then the pandemic happened. So it's coming out in May of 2021. And we're talking oh like books and toys and apps and games. And my friend Mike and I created and Kristen and I executive produce and voice. And my friend Dave and I wrote all the songs. There's a song every episode. So that can't be bad for the bank account. It's not bad for anything. Well, funny enough, it's a first season of a thing. And so it's just... Listen, I'm so yeah. fucking lucky, but it's not, it's, not, it's not even close to what you're thinking. Right. No, I, I, I could see that. You do the voices, it's, you just get paid scale. So no matter how, there's no, like, if Brad Pitt came in, he wouldn't make more money. Like, it's, so to do the voices, it just is what it is. And we got a buyout, we got buyouts for all the music. And so listen, it was, it's yeah. incredible. For me, at this point, it's far more of a career opportunity right the financial opportunity and hopefully it will turn into that as well and we become dora or spongebob and it's this massive thing but at the moment it's like an enormous passion project that i'm obsessed with and i cannot wait for people to see it's the most gorgeous children's show i've ever seen it's like pixar level it's sick it is sickening and, and i didn't the, do the art so i can say that and the con the concepts of it is great well, let's talk about your, let's talk about singing. Cause you know, you were on American Idol. I was. Should I say the concept of the kids show? I didn't say it. We just said the concept is great. And then I didn't say what it is. Well, no, I guess we didn't. I mean, I'm just thinking, I just like, you, you got me at music. Like when I hear like Hamilton oh. and Beyonce, I mean, that part, I'm already interested, but what is the concept? So it's called Do, Ray and Me. And it's these three little birds who are best friends whose journey every episode is to write a song. And so they take the pieces of the episode that they hear and that they learn. And then at, by the end of the episode, those sounds and the things that they learn become the song. And so one of the episodes is... Uh, it's a funny name. It's called Curious Birdius. And the birds don't know what that banging is. And they just hear this bang, bang, pop, 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 the whole episode. And at the end, it turns out that their friends, these woodpeckers, were building a roller coaster on the top of the mountain. But the sounds we heard through the whole episode are the percussive track that the song is built on top of. So it's like almost stop, cool. you know, banging trash cans and hearing, you know. So the the sounds the birds are experiencing over the course of the episode are what turn into the song at the end and every episode's a different musical genre. I love it. You see, that's how simple I am. Like you just had me at the end because I'm just, you know, like I like the idea of cartoons with like, you know, current mm -hmm. music or just music that and adults. It's so it's good. It's music. I, I mean, this term makes me cringe a little, but it is kind of, I mean, it's for preschool kids, but it's fun for the whole family in that, it's gorgeous looking. It's beautifully written. The songs are rad and they're not just kid targeted. So we're excited. We'll see what happens, man. Um, I, wild. I like the concept. Well, and do you love, I mean, because you're on America, like, do you love being able to use your musical side? I do, you know. So before I did American Idol, I'd been probably playing instruments and singing for 
well, singing for my whole life, but started playing instruments when I'm in my late teens. So by the time I did Idol, I was like ready. I'd been making music for 10 years and gigging and doing all this stuff. And uh, it's so funny, 10 years feels like a short period of time because I've been acting for 31. So making, at that time, making music for 10 was like, I'm just so used to being in shit for the long haul that it's like, doesn't even feel like big numbers, if that makes sense. Anyway. That makes sense. So when I did American Idol, it was a weird experience because they didn't let me play my instruments and they didn't let me pick my songs. And so it wasn't really like my experience. Um, so now that I am able to write songs and sing them and play instruments and perform and, you know, and do uh, really sort of live up to my potential musically on this show, that's um, been really gratifying. Why did you decide to do Idol? Because you were acting at that point, right? Like, you know, you had sopranos I mean, and uh, other things. And the- I was acting in quotes. And when I say that, what I mean is like, 2% of the Screen Actors Guild is working at any one time. Right. So like, I wasn't working. I had done a few episodes of television, but I was 28 when I tried out for American Idol, which is so funny looking back, that's the age limit. I was the fucking grandma. And there were like moms there that were 32 that were like the parents of the 15 year olds. And I was like, that's like, we're the same age. Okay. Were you like, wait, something has gone wrong in life here. What's, what's going on? <laughs> now I'm 28 years old trying out for a reality show. But basically- And I don't mean that as an insult because I say that every day about my own life. So go on. But I, did, I didn't feel it. I didn't take it harshly because basically that was the case, right? I was, um, my acting career was not going the way I wanted it to. And I loved music and I'd been in New York for a while. And like I said, gigging. And I was like, let's try this. Let's try this. And it was kind of like on a whim. I was never that person that was ever going to try out for that show because I was an actor and because I, I felt like more of a TV person as opposed to a reality TV person. Right. And I was like, at that point there was much more of a distinction and I think much more of a stigma, unfortunately, which is now gone. Right. Jennifer Hudson has become an Oscar winner and or nominee, whatever. So all that to say, when I tried out for Idol, it was sort of on a whim because my acting career wasn't going the way I wanted it to. And I also did have dreams of um, making making music and being sort of like Gaga meets Janis Joplin vibes pop star. And so I just went for it. And it kind of worked. We, yeah, I mean, odds. were you shocked like at how far you got? Like you got to the top 34? Super weird that my season was weird because there was a top 36 and then a bunch of people went home and then there were wild people brought back for the wild card and I was brought back for that. So then it was top 24 ish, but then 12 people went home at once and then they just made a top. So they went basically from a top 36 to a top 12. So 24 people went home. It was weird. But, um, out of a hundred and I think it's 108,000 people tried out that season. Not, not so bad. It felt, you know, it was, it was another example in my life of like getting, like why I never quit basically, right? Like I didn't get the thing. I never got the thing, but I got close so many times and it made me feel at least like I wasn't delusional for trying, you know? You're in the game. I'm in the game. I'm getting the feedback. I'm just not making the money and I'm not getting chosen. And how many movies were between like me and the one other person? And it's just like, I just kept not being me for a really long time. 
was there anything like, you know, like who was it? I think Leslie Grossman, I don't know if you know her, like American Horror Story, she's amazing. Uh, I never knew this, but she told some story on some interview that she almost got Julie Bowen's part in Modern Family. And she's like, that one hurts. You know, like she was kidding, but she's like, you know, when I look at like millions and millions of dollars, it's a joke, she's fine. Like, did you ever almost get something like that? Like, you could have been, like, you know, whoever on Friends. or I mean, that's not really the right age range, but you know what I mean. It kind of is, actually, because it was between me and the girl who got it to play Joey Tribbiani's little sister, Dina Tribbiani. Um, Which, you know, just to have been in that Friends universe just is so massive. Um, That's just like if you guest star on Seinfeld. It just never goes away. It's the coolest fucking thing. It's revered. Um, so that was, I, I, it was between me and um, my friend Marla got it. Um, but she was like a lead on the practice at the time. She was like a big actress. And I had, hadn't probably hadn't worked in years, except they were looking for like New York Italian Dina Tribbiani to talk about Italian subs. And my yeah, sweet I had to like do some fake New York accent. And every other audition I went on, I had to pretend I didn't talk like that. And so I was like, come on, this one's mine, guys, fair and square. But right. it wasn't. Because um, that's another example of like, you know, and she's incredible, but that's just another example of like, the person who's more famous is al- almost always with very, I, c- I can hardly think of an exception. The person who's more famous is almost always going to get the job because it raises the panache of the show. Always, like, you think. Although, don't they always, I mean, sometimes say, like, we want, like, unknowns or... Well, that's what happened with Glow. So there are small examples, and very few and far between, where they want people who are unknown, because otherwise you're just watching a bunch of famous people run around, and it, it takes you, it could, it could have the tendency to take you out of it in some cases. Right. But with that, um, you know, I was just up for a massive movie a minute ago, and... Um, they needed a girl from Long Island and it just was like the most obvious me shit that's ever happened. And a girl, another girl got it and she's going to have to pretend to act like me. It's just like my whole career is me pretending to not try and talk like this. And then when the parts come along that are, it's so rare that they are you and you see them go to someone else. It's just so painful. But the one, my Leslie Grossman is um, Frozen. It was between me and Adina for Frozen for Elsa. Really? That, that one that one burns your asshole. That one that one's a hard one. That I could see being a hard one. That's a toughie. Did you when you lose a part like that to like someone like Adina, do you say like okay? Like at least it's to her? I, a couple things happen. So apparently like she was on board from the very beginning and then they were branching out because they didn't know if they wanted it to be her. So they weren't like certain people weren't a hundred percent. Um, but a lot of people were, and a lot of people were always like, no, it's her, it's her. So I went in, I, I auditioned for casting. Then I went back into for producers. Then I went back into screen tests. I had to prepare multiple songs and multiple pages and sign confidentiality. And when I went in for the screen test, Maya Rudolph was there and Naya Rivera was there and all of these like superstars were there. And then it just kept almost being me. And they kept calling my agent and being like, it's looking good. It's looking good. And then they just went back to their initial choice of Adina. That, that hurts. It's, pain, it's painful. Yeah. But also, you know, it's weird. I, I told someone, I texted someone the other day when I didn't get this huge movie that I can't tell you right now, but this massive 
one of the most famous directors on earth and starring one of the most famous actors on earth. And I was going to be his sister as of five people in the movie. So, and the director was giving me specific notes through casting, tell Jackie to do this. And that. I mean, really talking right to me and I'm making all these tapes and I'm sending them in and I'm doing the fucking dying of cancer scene. I mean, it's the whole nine and then radio silence. It's a brutal fucking business of emotional warfare. But a friend spoke to me like an hour later and she was like, you seem okay. And I said, you know what? I realized I'm like the high priestess of disappointment mitigation. Like I just, I get over heartbreak at an alarming rate and it might not even be healthy, but I, speaking of what you said before about compartmentalizing, well, what am I, I don't have two weeks to sit here and weep that it's not me. I just don't, because then in two days I have another audition and if I'm, feeling dejected and kicking a can how am i going to succeed this at this next one i mean it's just it's a fucking freight train of rejection but i think that's good from a person who's in the itty 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 bitty minority of the lucky ones who has had some opportunity so it's just a wild i so i say all of this with gratitude and you know it's more informative than it is me complaining it's just it's the facts it is what it fucking is I think, I mean, I'm the type that gets over things really quickly because, like, what choice do you have, really? Did you... But I think that's why a lot of people uh, don't don't survive in this business, right? Because it is not... It's not kind. It's not for the faint of heart. That's what I say. Not that you can t- talk about it, but this big movie that you just lost where you were going to be someone's sister and was, did you lose it to your point to someone more famous than you? Yep. Okay. Before, <laughs> okay. Before we just move on, did you have a favorite judge on American Idol? Paula, for sure. I mean, Paula went on Leno and said I was her favorite and like, she was so sort of wackadoo, like you're not supposed to do that and say who your favorite is. But she was like, I can't say. And then she looked right in the camera and she said, but I love that Danny Goki and that Jackie Tone. They just called us right out. And then it was in Us Weekly and it was like, Paula, I, Paula Abdul, so, you know, spills her favorites. And then I think I got eliminated like immediately after that. You want to talk about fucking disappointment and expectation mitigation. I was like, I'm going to win this thing. And then I literally think I got cut the next day. Did you, do you have you ever seen Paula in concert? Oh my God. Best question. No, I have not had the pledge. It's, it's a pledge. It's a pledge. She's a little buffy. She's just the nicest little woman. I hope she's well. She's like the gift she's that keeps. Not full, she's not full of shit either. She's not like kind to be kind. She's just like really that's inside her to be a supportive, sweet woman. She's yes. She's so sweet. How did you go from that to, because you are a songwriter, did you, because Cara Diaguardi was a judge that season on American Idol, so do you call her up and is that how you got onto Bravo's platinum hit? Ever Has there ever been something that did not, that could have gone further from how you've just pitched it? I don't think Cara Diaguardi was a fan um, and wanted nothing to do with the other. She happened to be, in fact, when I tried out for platinum hit, she wasn't even involved. It was Jewel and these like famous songwriters whose names escape me. Oh, Evan Bogart and somebody else. So they were making this, this songwriting competition. And the only reason I did it, well, first of all, I didn't have any acting shit going on. And, but the major reason I did it was because 
American Idol didn't afford me the opportunity, like I said, to play my instruments and write songs and be an artist. It basically like, it forced me into being in a karaoke competition, even when I was like, all right, if I'm going to be in a karaoke competition, which God bless, let me at least sing Janis Joplin or sing Carole King or Aerosmith or Pink or Duffy or Corinne Bailey Ray or just an artist. Let me get my guitar. Let me sit me at the keys. And for some reason, I think they realized this wasn't the move and that they wanted to use the show to create artists. But my season, they didn't let, you, let us play instruments. It was right. just a singing competition. Right. Um, and then after the top 10, they let them play instruments, which is when Chris Allen started playing his guitar. But anyway, all that to say, I just tried out for Platinum Hit because I was almost like, is the word vindicating myself right? Like I was, I was like, I'll show the world what I can do, which Idol didn't let me show them. And then Platinum Hit ended up being like, uh, just a living nightmare. Really? Just like the whole Oh yeah, one of the, one of the worst experiences in my whole career, bar none. Yeah, hated it. Why? Just like- Well, they took away our phones and our computers. And so they treated it kind of big brothery. So like my dad was going through some shit at the time. I couldn't talk to him. So it was like, again, this business is emotional, was psychological warfare. I was like, didn't know how my parents were doing. I wasn't able to talk to my friends. I had a boyfriend at the time I wasn't allowed to talk to. I was going to miss one of my best friend's weddings and I wasn't even allowed to tell her where I was or why I was missing it. So she was like, okay, so you're just a bitch. And you have no, like, it just was shitty. And, um, and the way they set up the show was sort of flawed because I don't want to get into it, it's boring. But the way they set up the show was flawed. So you could be in the top three every single week and then go home, which just didn't make sense because they were constantly sending home people who were doing the best. Did you, I know Donna Summer was a guest judge. Like, did you interact with her? Oh, or- right. I totally forgot that. I am not lying, exaggerating, or being hyperbolic when I say I remember almost none of that except how miserable it was and how much I didn't want to be there. So um, Jewel was really nasty. Apparently I hear she's a lovely person. She treated us like we were these like loser fucking, these peon losers, um, instead of being like, cool, these kids are like actual songwriters and they've given up a lot to be here and try and come on this journey. It was just like, she would like scoff at us and be like, did you just sing that country song? Did you just try and do like a Southern accent and like kind of roast you? And you're like, are you just mean? I don't, I don't get your angle. Like there was, it felt like there was zero support. It was like all three judges were Simon Cowell. Like worst experience of your career. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely worst experience of my career. I don't really regret it because it was such a blip and I don't give a shit, but I, no, yeah, sucked. So when you got Glow, because, okay, and this isn't me kissing your ass, but I mean, you know, Glow is. By all means. Glow is, you know, like it's, it's up there for me as far as it was such a good show. I mean, listen, like, again, I'm a gay man. So it's women, it's wrestling, it's 80s, it's 80s music, it's 80s costumes. I'm like, sign me up. I mean, I have nothing to add. Take the words out of my mouth. Yes, I have two things to add. Uh, Representation and lifting the limitations of what we thought was possible for ourselves. Those are two major things to add that like we on our show, we had girls of every religion, every race, every size, every shape, every color, every age. There wasn't ages. There was every body. I mean, God bless that fucking show, man. I cannot believe we're not making our fourth season. You and me both. I can't. I honestly can't. I do. 
definitely sometimes cry about it. And then I get snapped back into like, we're in a pandemic and people can't choose whether to pay their rent or feed their kids. I'm fine. But I am still very sad about Globe. When you got it, were you like, you know, because you mentioned you got it like later in life. Were you like, okay, this is truly it? Like- well, I'll tell you. So remember when I said I got The Sopranos and since it was a first season, I didn't know what it was going to be? With Glow, I knew. You did. Glow, I knew because it's Gen G and it was these amazing showrunners. I knew that it was based on the 80s show Glow, which I had seen probably in repeats because I think I was very little when it was on. And... Um, I remembered it and I was aware of it and I knew about the Cindy Lauper and the Jackie Stallone of it all in the camp and it was so before its time and it was just women being athletic and powerful and funny and sexy on television and we'd never seen any of that right and now we are here with one of the goddesses of television Genji Cohan making the scripted version of that I've chills now talking about it I just fucking knew um, and we just it was the, it was far and away the best um, acting experience of my entire career. And I think, you know, Betty Gilpin and I would talk about it while we were there. We would like have these really cogent moments of like, yo, you know, this is never going to happen again for any of us, right? And we'd always be like, yeah, 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 no, no. Where we are catching lightning in a bottle while a unicorn while a Pegasus unicorn flies by, we catch it in the bottle and then we all get to do this on television. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And as an actor for so long before that, right, you get one or two, you go on an audition where there's like one woman on the show and she's either hot or funny. Maybe there's two, like, so you don't really have an opportunity as a, as an actress to really go out there and do what you want. The jobs aren't there. You have to create them yourself. And then now Glow comes along and there's spaces for 15 rodeo clowns to do their thing. When you read like the part of like Melrose, were you, I mean, is that the part you tried out for? Like, was like, cause you know, you hear of all people, oh, I tried out for this. They cast me in this. Was that, you were just like, this is it. This is me Not or. at all. So I read for Ruth a lot. I even tested with Betty for Ruth. Like I was in the running for Ruth, but they also had me read like Sheila at one point and Jenny, the cheerleader who Ellen Wong at one point who plays. They had me, and then they had me read Melrose. And I think she initially was supposed to be Melanie Rose, this like Paris Hilton-y kind of party girl, like that Tawny Katan music video bitch. But then I read on it and I just did a fully different, like sort of aggro, bitchy, cigarette smoking, Andrew Dice Clay, fuck you take. And they were like, oh, we like this for you. And then they changed her to Melanie Rosen because they couldn't take the Jew out of the Jew. Hi, Glenn. I love it. It's the best thing. Best thing that ever happened to me, for sure. And that's, I assume, how everyone felt. Like Allison Brie, like that, like oh, you guys God. all were yeah. like. Come here, Glenn you were all just like, this is lightning in a bottle and like, this is Correct. the best thing. Correct. And we all knew. And it's just like, you know, and Betty and Allie had worked so much before, but I think Betty's the most so incredible with words, but she describes it as like, you know, she was basically like a lollipop with tits in one thing. And then she was the, the sexy wife waiting in the kitchen for her husband to come home from the war. And like, she was always just like, 
had to be like, where's my husband? And are my eyes wide enough? And my waist small enough? And my tits big enough? And then we show up on Glow and she gets to beat the shit out of women and play four different characters and have that depth and be able to do drama and comedy and music. And like, what is this show? Yeah. And the fact that, like you said, you know, it's such a good script. I mean, is it still, I guess, hard for, I mean, we've come far on TV, right? Like with diversity and roles for women, but I'm sure that was part of this, like, oh God, the script is great for everyone. Oh, it's, it's completely and, com- and, and totally, look at my dog, please. And totally. I love her. Sorry, I wasn't paying. Oh, she's so cute. Hi, it's Glenn. He's a boy. I love, oh, I love him. He's a nice guy. He can um, join us. Yeah, he better. He, he already decided. But yeah, Glow was like really the most rare. And everybody knew it. Like the writers knew it. The, the, I mean, everyone knew it. Every department was like, we're making something wildly special here. And the fact that you can make something that profound and simultaneously that funny is like, how dare you? Seriously. So, right. So it's a huge hit and then it is coming back. It's greenlit for season four and we're all ecstatic. Over the moon, fourth and final. So they told us ahead of time, like we are going to make the fourth, but it's going to be the last one. So wrap up the story. The writers wrote all 10 episodes. We shot two and a half of them because we started in March. So we shot the shit. We, the sets were built. The costumes were tailored within an inch of their lives. Everything was bought and paid for and ready to go. And... So it's, yeah. It's, and then Corona and other stuff. So I think, you know, mostly Corona because it just became like not quite feasible to figure out like how to do it and how to actually make it happen. Because now with COVID rules, things take two to three times as long to shoot because you got to shoot shorter hours. Everyone's got to get tested every day. So if you show up in the morning, there's like hours of testing that happen. I mean, it's crazy. It's not easy to do. And we're a big cast and there's so much contact. And I think they just were like, we, at this point, we have to cut our losses. Like we do not know how and when we're going to make this thing. And is there any chance or am I living in a dream world that like, you know. You and me both, honey. Um, we don't know. I mean, maybe a movie, but at this point. You know, I think like as the days pass, there's like 20 something thousand people signed a petition and just as the days pass, I think it's like, right. I don't know. I, I'm too scared to say, but I, I actually don't know the answer. I mean, I don't, doesn't, doesn't look at this point like we're making a fourth season, that's for sure. Right. And you know, people have to be available, like who knows what in six months where all of you are going to be. Well, that's the thing, that was the thing too, is that, you know, we were, um, we were, sorry. Um, That's okay. That, that was the thing too, is that we got put on hold in March, like everybody else did. I mean, to start shooting a show in March, 2020 is like one of the most sick jokes you could tell. So we started March, 2020, we get put on hold and we think we're going to come back that summer. And we think we're going to come back like later in the year. Then we think we're going to come back in January. Then we think we're going to come back in May, 2021. And that was when we found out toward the end of last year that it was a no-go. What was the best thing about playing Melrose? I mean, other than everything we just said. Everything. I mean, getting to, I would say, getting to be so myself and acerbically funny and wise-assery and, you know, 
just that they really captured my edge. And they did this with a lot of us, right? Like they saw our specialties and our skill sets and they played to them. Instead of saying like, oh, let's make her be soft. They were like, fuck it, she's edgy. She's got a filthy mouth. Let's just, let's lean in, let's go. Um, and so they did. And I think some, the, the most special thing for me was in season three, episode six, where we had that camping episode where Melrose has the Seder. And that was really exciting because it was a time, and that was why I was so excited about season four too, because all the girls were really growing and morphing and we really saw who they were season one and two, and now we can watch them grow, right? We made them yeah. break it. And so in season three, there was this episode where Melrose really gets to go deep into why she is the way she is and why she's always making jokes and explain inherited trauma and being the descendant of Holocaust survivors, which I actually am. Um, and have the conversation with Ellen Wong, who plays Jenny, who has her inherited trauma uh, as being a, her family were survivors of the Cambodian genocide. And those are mine and Ellen's true stories that our showrunners wrote into the show once they learned that about us. And what a gravity and depth it adds to the show to have these stories there and then sort of completely out of body to be able to memorialize my hit uh, immortalize my family's actual history on television forever like who gets yeah. to do that so it's wild you, well again one of the best shows i think that's ever existed Thanks. did you find because you know you say like whoever's more famous so like when glow you know it's over maybe we'll have a movie hopefully like did you really see then things start to open up after like I mean I know we're in COVID but I mean for season one like did oh, well, it yeah I mean like after glow sure like I I ended up uh, I was on the boys for an episode because the woman that is one of the EPs um and wrote this particular episode uh who's a sickening writer and this woman is such a badass her name is Rebecca Sonnenschein but she was a big glow fan so when I tried it out for the boys she was like oh my god I love that girl on glow you know so it helps to have where people are aware of you and work you've done like she didn't call me specifically in for it but when I put myself on tape and she watched the tape she was like oh shit this that girl's perfect I loved her on glow let's put her on the boys so it absolutely opens doors I did a bunch of really cool indie movies because people were fans from Glow and I got to play super different characters than I ever would have. So it definitely raised producer people, Holly, you know, industry people's awareness of who I was and who I am as an actor. And that obviously helps massively. And how does that bring us to best leftovers ever? Ah, please bring us to best leftovers ever. Yes, I'm sorry. It took me forever to get there. You're just so interesting. I mean, you know, but I understand. We're going to keep on track here. We just both yaki yentery jews who talk seriously um so best leftovers ever is a cooking competition show that i would say is like chopped meets peewee's playhouse and i'm the host and one of the judges and our cooks have to turn leftovers into high-end cuisine in two rounds for the chance to win ten thousand dollars in a casserole dish it's a great show so fun how does this happen? Like, is, is it the Netflix connection? Like, does a someone... Bit, a little bit. So basically what happened with Best Leftovers Ever, it's a crazy-ass story, but speaking of all the things in your career that you do that you don't think amount to something at the time, the guy who brought me in... So I think I was on a list, right? So um, 
Sam Hanks, who does casting for the Magical Elves, who are the production who are the production company behind Best Leftovers Ever. This is a little inside baseball, but she made a list of like funny women on Netflix who she thinks could host the show. She passes the list over to this guy, Toby Gorman, who runs the Magical Elves at the time. Now he runs reality at NBC. Okay. And Toby Gorman looks at the list and he sees Jackie Tone and he goes, bring her in. Now, Toby Gorman's name at the time didn't ring a bell. It wasn't until I saw him in the meeting. So I walk in, he gives me a hug and it clicks. Oh my God, this guy was like a low level producer on American fucking idol. The guy that runs, runs Magical Elves, the best in class reality show production company that makes Project Runway, um, Top Chef, Nailed It, Sugar Run. These guys are the machers. I walk in the room and the man that runs it all was a dude, a British dude in his 20s at the time who I happened to really get along with when I was doing American Idol. And we would like do bits and he would always find me with his camera and interview me and I'd say dumb shit. And he'd be like, fuck, I can't even use this because you were like roasting Seacrest to his face. But like, you know, and when I went in on this Magical Elves meeting, he was like telling everyone the stories of how when I was on Idol, he thought I was, I feel weird saying this, but he was like, this girl's a star. And I mean, she could be on Idol, but like, this isn't the place for her to really do her thing. Like she needs to do what she does. And then he was like, and then I saw you on Glow and I was like, someone finally gave this chick a chance. Then your name came across my desk for best leftovers ever. And I was like, no, she's our girl. If everybody disagrees, we can look elsewhere, but I'm telling you, she's our girl. Then they brought me over to Netflix. Netflix agreed and they didn't even see anybody else. He said that like right in front of everyone, like while you were standing there? In front of me, in front of everyone. So were you like, okay, well that's a lot different than, you know, all these things that you get passed up for and you're one of two. And so were you just like, holy shit? Yes, and I cried because when we left the Netflix meeting together, Toby was still inside and then he came out and he was like, um, so yeah, they, uh, they agree. They, they want to make the show with you. So we're, uh, we're going to do it. We're going to make the show. And I was like, wait, what? And I just started crying. It just happened. Cause I mean, it's your, your whole life. You just wait for someone to be like, yep. I'm, oh my God. Major. No, I, I have you, goosebumps. Like seriously. You wait, you wait your whole life for someone to be like, yeah, we spoke to everybody and everybody just agrees. It's you. And you're like, what? And so I said to him, I started crying and he gave me a hug. He goes, well, don't cry. He said, uh, listen, and he was very funny. He goes, listen, it can all fall to shit, right? Before we even start, it can all fall to shit and blow up and explode. But right now we want you and they want you and that's all that matters. So we'll go forward from there. And I was like, okay. And then we went forward from there. We made our freaking awesome cooking show. Well, no, because I'm also, this is why I have goosebumps. I'm also like, I really believe, because it's happened a million times, like you just, it's those small, like, again, I've had huge names on this show from people that are quote unquote, not huge names just by We Bonded. And I'm like, remember when I just didn't want to even interview that person? And I like yelled Mm -hmm. at my own team and I'm like, why am I even interviewing this person? And I have no time and this is a waste of my time and I hate you. Like, this is why you speak to everybody. And then, you know, mind you, those people I spoke to and I'm like, I fucking love no, you. Of course. Right. So I believe like, so, I mean, who thinks like American Idol, some guy that you barely yeah. remember. And, and he that- was like, and he was like a low level producer guy. And there was like 30 of them. And they would all walk around with cameras and try and catch shit going on and segment produce. And he was telling in the meeting, he was like, 
And we couldn't even use most of what she said because it was like so funny. And we'd be like cracking up in the editing bay. And it was just like, we had to, we had to, they call it kill so many babies when you can't use someone's jokes. Like we had to kill so many babies. And it was so bu such a bummer, but we knew that like, this isn't a comedy show, it's a singing competition. And we could only put so much of what you said on TV. Well, isn't it also, I mean, this is how I am. Isn't, aren't you always shocked when you're just kind of like, you see me? Like, how do you remember me? Like, that to me is always weird oh, in same. general. Oh. Like, I was there. I was one of, you know, 100,000, 34, whatever. I, I know we had interactions, but that was like eight years ago, whatever it was. Are you like, so that's yeah. amazing. Shocking. Shocking. And it's another reason, though, why, like, I chalk things up to how I didn't quit, right? Like, I feel like... I didn't, I got eliminated pretty early on American Idol, but like Paula Abdul said, I was her favorite. Like there, there are these things as a performer, these validations that you get. Right. These you almost book, you know? And then you're like, well, I'm doing, I'm not just out here spinning my wheels. I'm doing something. People are seeing me. It's not, I'm not getting anything, but I'm, I'm not getting nothing. If that makes sense. I'm not no, making money. I I'm making, you know, it's wild. Are you like, I mean, so I watched this show. I love this show. Like, are you before this? Like, are you a foodie? Are you a food person? Like, um, are you no. good with leftovers? Okay. So I'm a leftovers person and I'm a reheater. And I like make this morning, I made myself this really good, like a corn tortilla in the oven till it like crisps up. And if you get these good ones, they like expand into these bubbles. And then I mm. do just an egg in the pan, but I put, I sprinkle Parmesan cheese, not grated, like, um, strings of Parmesan cheese on either side and I flip. So I make this like cheesy egg cake and then I put it on the corn tortilla and a little bit of black beans, cotilla cheese, avocado. That egg. sounds pretty, like I couldn't it, do that. You, you could, but I understand. So that's my level of like, I make breakfast. It's not like I'm sitting here mixing ingredients. I put eggs and cheese in a pan. Um, so I'm definitely the layman judge on Best Leftovers Ever where I describe food as it tastes. Like, I don't know what it means that it like, it needs to be more acidic and it's not quite bright enough. Like you're not gonna get that those words from me. Um, you're gonna get more like, this is like the consistency of like a booger a little bit. Like this egg is not cooked. Um, and not that I'm ever mean, that was a bad example. Cause I think something I love so much about the show is that it is just kind. Like there is no Simon Cowell judge. We all just like, we love the chefs. We love each other as judges. Like it's just a fun, light, watch and so yeah. i'm a leftovers person but i'm by no means a foodie is this like out of all the jobs you've had like i mean i know it's one that you probably didn't expect the most but like are you just like this is a good gig dream dream beyond dream like i kind of feel like i'm in that vibe of like i still want to act of course but i like my i want to host as much as i want to act like really I, yeah oh yeah like hosting well, is, it's it's so fun and it's such a fabulous use of my random skill sets, which are like talking a ton, improv comedy, making strangers feel like best friends. Um, like it's all these things that I do that in the past have like made people I'm in relationships with be like, why are you so friendly to that person you don't know? And it's like, I don't know, it feels good. I just, I love to talk to people. I love making friends. I love treating everybody the same. And did, did you ever want to host before this? Like, was always, that ever? Always, oh. always and forever. Always and forever. Oh, wow. Always my major dream. And then this show came along and was the greatest. 
Well, I love it. Every single person that's listening to this needs to watch it. It's such a good show. Hopefully there'll be a season two. We hope, fingers crossed. I have to just hear about Stern because he's my God too. He's our God. You've just been a great guest. You have a lot to- Thank you. We, we, there's a lot of things that I didn't think we would cover that came out of nowhere. <laughs> and listen, I, was, I only drink things that match my outfits. Well, that looks healthy. I've been drinking like my, well, look, I mean, here's my product placement, my behind the velvet robe. Love. But I have, this is like my hundredth cup of coffee for, I, I'm one of those New Yorkers that just drinks a lot. Not me. I drink my coffee in the morning and that's it. I can't. You're lucky. I, I used to be that way. I think it's, COVID has not helped. Like I just sit here and work totally. and drink. All I do is work and drink coffee and then. All I do is, I mean, I fuck with like a uh, kombucha in the middle of the day to get that little pick me up, but coffee makes me jittery past like two. I get like, it. Okay. So let me tell you about CERN. So CERN happened. So I've been a super fan since I was a teenager. I, um, I had an older friend buy me private parts when the book came out and I used to like read it and, um, well, a story for another day, but like I was obsessed with Stern at a very young age. I think he also like, uh, informed who I became like, I would say Stern and Joan Rivers and Sarah Silverman the most probably helped me and, and David Wayne, I think, cause Wet Hot American Summer did a lot for my comedy brains and where I want to go. Wes Anderson too. Anyway, um, ADD. Uh, but Stern is the only thing, right, entity or person that I'm a super fan of. So everything else, there are things I like, the movies I like, people I like. I, I'm obs- I, I am obsessed with Howard Stern and I know everything about the show. I've heard almost every episode. I mean, obviously I miss occasionally. Um, I know those characters. I think of them as people in my life. Um, it's it's wild the way I feel about the show, like any other super fan. Absurd. Um, so I was doing a comedy show in LA when the world was open and this dude came up to me afterwards and I was doing musical comedy and I was singing and playing a song. And this dude came up to me and he was like, uh, after I, my set, he was like, dude, we should write something together. Like, I don't meet a lot of other musical comedians. My name's Eli. And I was like, Eli what? And he was like, Brayden. And I was like, Eli Brayden from the Stern Show? He was like, yes. And I was like, we need to make Robin songs. And he was like, dude. And I was already on Glow at that point. And he was like, dude, we have to do a Robin song. They'll freak out. You'll be like a celebrity super fan. And I was like, well, I'm not a celebrity, but I am a super fan. Let's go. And so we got together after that and we made Robin, you like boys. There's many penises that you've enjoyed. Now you're getting bored. I bet a girl like me could give you more. Let's get nude. I want to suck on your massive brown boobs. Um, and lick your chocolate nips. It's really, the next part involves twat lips. So, we made this song and I was like, well, I'm, this is, I'm more excited about this than I have been about anything in my entire career. And we sent it in not knowing what would happen. And the show freaked the fuck out. Robin said it was her favorite Robin song of all time. It won 2019 best parody song of the year. They still play it now. It's like anytime they talk about a star is born, they play our song. It's like the craziest thing. And then we did one 
to believe with my share. Then we did yeah. five. So we did a couple others, but um, the shallow parody really blew up on the Stern show. Really exciting. And then like, cause I mean, I've, I've heard the songs, but I've never, like, so like, do you interact with Howard? Like, is it like- Wish, I wish, no. So the, the, as close as I've gotten to the show is the wrap up show. So I've spoken to like Baba Booey and I know that like Howard and John Hine and how Howard loves the song and spoken to Sal and Richard and Shuley and like the whole gang. Um, at this point, like I'm still super fanny, but of course, but my energy is a little less Marianne than it was before because initially I was so excited. I was literally just like, I couldn't even, I'd never, yeah. seen, I'd never truly, I'd never seen myself that way. Like I was like freaking out. I was like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm talking to you guys. Like I just, I don't have anything else in my life like that. And I think it's like how normal people are with famous people is how I am with only Howard in the Howard universe. Like you don't get that way with like Beyonce, huge singers, nothing. No, I'd love, I mean, Beyonce is incredible. Are you kidding me? But I, I don't, like I wouldn't. It's like Howard. Yeah, I probably would have been that way with Joan Rivers. It's like, it's, you know, it's whoever your personal gods are, your personal idols. Um, Joan is a good one. Joan is, I've, we had Melissa on this show uh, and Salt of the Earth. And just Joan is, I mean, like, I am, I, we are, I am right there with you. I Joan is, Joan is, I've seen Joan, like, when she was, you know, like, so many times alive. So and jealous. She's just, was the most brilliant female comedian. And honestly, I've never spoken to a female comedian. I, I mean, I know it's stereotypical, but I haven't spoken to one female comedian that doesn't cite Joan Rivers as, like, the god. Oh, she's a god. Yeah. 100%. She's unreal. Do you know who I know in real life, though? I know Tan Mom and Adam Barda. I'm close to Tan Mom as part of the Whack Pack. That is really... That gets me enough. I mean, I'm really just friends with them, just through... Don't even ask. Like, it's okay, one of those love stories. I get stories. being friends with Adam Barda. I don't get being friends with Tan Mom. Patricia Krenzel, I do not get. Well, I love her. As a person who entertains me endlessly, I get her. But, like... I don't know that I'd ever be able to cite, and God bless that you can, no judgment. I don't know that I'd be able to cite, I'm good friends with Patricia Krenzel. She's just so sweet. Is she really? Oh, like this is like the no, nicest no, person. she's not sweet at all. She's like kind of oh, impossible no. and delusional and... I mean, like she's in her own world, but it's not, you know, like she's non-offensive, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, like it's all... Fascinating. Yeah, like she's not evil. But... Well, I mean, Howard, I just, Howard. you know, you, maybe you'll be back with more parodies because they're great. I hope so. But now that Robin doesn't do the news inexplicably, there's like, when would we really have Robin songs? But I guess we could still write them and hope that they put them in. But it used to be like, if you submit a Robin song and you're like on the level, like the Eli level or the um, whatever those other guys' names are, um, Daniel... Mendelssohn, yeah, that's one too. The opera that guy. Familiar. Ba ba booey, ba ba booey. Um, all those people. Anyway, if you're one of those guys, there was like a good chance you could get your Robin song played before the news. But now there's just not as much space for it. Amazing. We're inside baseball now. I we could stop talking, Stern. Before we go, anything you want to add? I had my own agenda. Thank you for answering all my questions. I just want to give you... I lived for your agenda. I feel like we are very like-minded. I would just say for everybody listening, follow me on Instagram at Jackie T-O-H-N because that's where I post... 
pretty much everything I'm up to and upcoming jobs and picks and bullshit. And everyone watch your new show is phenomenal. And watch Best Leftovers Ever and Glow on Netflix. Amazing. Keep in touch. You have been great, you know, but I do appreciate you doing this. I know you're busy and, you know, like. That's my pleasure. I had a lovely time. You know, a lot of times I'm like, okay, I have two topics, but the more I looked into you, I was like, oh, there's a stern connection here. Oh, wait. I was like, oh, I have a lot to discuss. I love it. It was my but pleasure. Thank you for thank, having me. Thank you and your dog for coming on. And let me know when we air so I can tell everybody. I will. If you could share it, that would be like... That's what I I'm mean, saying. Yes. You're amazing. You'll come back on and we'll keep in touch. Can't wait. I love you dearly. Bye, Angel. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.